We are in week three of our series simply called Jesus Did That. Jesus Did That. You know, it's very common this time of year for us to kind of look at Jesus through the lens of the baby in the manger. Nothing wrong with that. It's all good. But there's so much about him, so much about his life. And we just wanted to take these handful of weeks to focus in on several different stories, several different accounts in the Gospels that really kind of elevate the power, the compassion, the majesty, the glory of Jesus Christ while he walked on the earth. In fact, there's a verse, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I've been thinking about as we've done this series together because it's really kind of the heart cry of the Apostle Paul. Paul said, Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, but I also want to know the sufferings that he went through. I want my life to be aligned with the person of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I, I just want to say that uh, it really is all about Jesus. It really is. In fact, I think for the follower, the disciple of Jesus Christ, the ultimate purpose of our lives is to know Jesus Christ and become more and more like him. And that's not just for a handful of people. That's not just for certain people who feel called to missions or whatever it might be. That is every single one of us who name the name of Jesus Christ, who have put our faith in him as Savior, as Lord, have asked him to forgive us of our sins. And now we begin this journey, not just see you in heaven, Jesus journey, but a journey that says, I want to walk every single day with you. And Jesus, I want to know you deeply. And Lord Jesus, as I spend quiet time with you, as I talk to you throughout the day, would you please make me more like yourself? That needs to be our passion. You know, we just have maybe two weeks or so until the new year. And maybe some of you, like me, I tend to do this a little bit, assess the year. I mean, that sounds so clinical, doesn't it? Assess the year. How was the year? Kind of depends on what uh, criteria you use to evaluate, evaluate your year. Because maybe like me, you've had years that have been horribly difficult, but incredibly good in terms of your own growth. You've had years where you've been blindsided by some of the greatest challenges of your life. And you're asking God to use that and to get you through that, to walk with you through your valley of the shadow of death. Maybe that's been 2022 for you. I'm sorry, but as you... No, I hope Jesus walks with you through it. And Jesus can do some amazing, amazing things in our lives when we're in the valley, right? He really can. He really does. But let's get positive and say maybe 2023 is going to be incredibly awesome. Not so many valley experiences. I don't know. Only he knows, right? But at the end of the day, every year for me, should have as its greatest focus to know him better and become more like him. And so that's so much what I feel like our series is focused on, getting to know him better and better and becoming more and more like him. 
The passage we're going to be looking at this morning is in Luke's gospel. So if you want to turn there, that would be wonderful. And hopefully my mic will be okay, because that would be wonderful too. So Luke, Luke chapter 9, whatever I said, sorry. Luke chapter 9 is our passage. Thank you, Andrew. I think that's better. So we're going to dive into Luke chapter 9. I'm going to pick up in verse 18. And uh, this is just an amazing account that we're going to be looking at together this morning. Luke 9, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, the one, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Now we like to talk about context here when we, when we present God's word and share God's word with you. What is going on as we look at a specific portion of passage? Uh, or passage? And what struck me is those first few words of verse 18, once when Jesus was praying in private. Because what's so fascinating to me is the question that he's going to ask. What are the crowds? Who do the crowds say that I am? That came out of his time of communing with his father. That came out of a private time in prayer, and he came out. It wasn't, man, he just had this rally, and they were cheering and chanting his name. So tell me, what are my polling numbers, you know? He wasn't doing that. There's no arrogance in this. You know, it's not like he finished his concert and, you know, 43 encores or, or whatever. Nothing like that. Jesus is asking a profound question because to know Jesus Christ is to really know who he truly is. Who he truly is. So the disciples apparently had been listening to the crowd and they started throwing things out. Well, some people think you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some people think you're Elijah. Other people think you're just some great prophet. So the consensus of the crowd is, this man is an amazing teacher and probably had performed miracles already and those kinds of things. But they didn't get it right. So Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks them this question, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Verse 20. Peter answered, God's Messiah, or other translation, the Christ of God. Now, it's interesting, often people uh, may not know what the word Messiah, you've heard the word Messiah, you've heard the name Christ by the name, by the word, by the way, Christ is not Jesus's last name. There really are people who think that, Jesus Christ, like that's his last name, that's not his last name, okay? Messiah means Anointed one in Hebrew. Christ is the Greek translation of that same word or idea. The anointed one. It's Jesus the Christ. Jesus the anointed one. And so Peter in terms of his response was correct. But look at verse 21. This is so fascinating. It goes on. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone what? 22. 
And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Commentators will tell you that this is the first time he spoke this directly about his ensuing death. He warned them not to tell anybody. Isn't that interesting? First thought I want to share, I have three kind of main thoughts I want to share with you. And this first one deals with the true identity of Jesus Christ and how, how important it is to understand who he really is. Because a lot of people got it wrong back in the day. And a lot of people still get it wrong. Let me share with you what one Bible scholar wrote that to me was so helpful in understanding why Jesus said to his disciples when Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. Why Jesus said, but don't tell anybody. Listen to this, this is really good. The command for silence was given not because Peter's confession was false, but precisely because it was true. The confession was not inappropriate, but its proclamation was dangerous. Such a proclamation would have had disastrous consequences for to Jesus being the Christ or Messiah meant suffering and death as God's anointed. Whereas among the people, it signified the anointed king who would throw off the Roman yoke, smite the Gentiles and bring political independence and greatness to the nation of Israel. Jesus had rejected such a nationalistic conception of Messiahship at the beginning of his ministry. They didn't know who he was. They misunderstood. They thought that him coming as Messiah, as the Christ, meant it was time to overthrow the Roman government and Israel would take over and become the powerful nation in the world. And that wasn't the case. Right answer, but they didn't really understand the true identity is what we're seeing here with Jesus Christ. You know, understanding the true identity of Jesus Christ is at the very heart of the gospel, isn't it? We really need to understand who Jesus truly is. Because I hear all kinds of people talk about who they think Jesus is. You know, the, the, the complimentary comments about Jesus are things like he was a great moral teacher. He was the world's greatest humanitarian. He's the most brilliant religious leader ever. And all of those things that have an element of truth in no way really give us who Jesus is. You know, I've heard people say, Jesus is just the Christian form of Allah. Wrong. Jesus is just the Christian form of Mohammed. Wrong. No. We need to understand who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is God in flesh. That's who he is. Jesus Christ is the God-man who existed from eternity past. He is perfect. He is sinless. He is one who died for the sins of the world and rose victoriously and conquered death in the grave. That's who Jesus Christ is. And for us to not know that, to not share that with people as we share the gospel is to miss such a key, key important element of the whole message of the gospel of Christ. People need to know his true identity. And it's so interesting that even his disciples didn't get it. 
I mean, later on in the gospel, some of you would know this, that when Jesus is talking again about his ensuing death, going to Jerusalem, dying, being crucified, raising, Peter said, never will that happen to you, Lord. And that's when Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter was not clearly understanding the mission, the person, but the mission of Jesus Christ when he came in his first coming. Guess what? He's coming again. You know that? Not as a suffering servant, as the conquering king. You know, people used to say, when I was a young Christian, I used to hear people say all the time, pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You still pray that? You ready to see the conquering king? I am ready. I hope you're ready. But in this first coming, he came to die and then raised from the dead. So understanding the true identity of Jesus Christ is critical. That's my point. And understanding the gospel message. Jesus kind of amps thing up, amps things up as he goes on in this as Luke goes on in this passage. This is incredible. Look at verse 23 with me. Jesus then said to them, his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self or soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the father and of the holy angels. Whoever wants to be my disciple. That's what he's saying. There are not classes of Christians. There's not varsity and JV. There isn't. When you Commit your life to Jesus Christ, having received his forgiveness of your sin. Part of the package deal is you commit yourself to him and you become a disciple. Now, what Jesus is describing here are what disciples look like, what disciples are to be like, all of us. And at the core, did you see it? At the core, is verses 23 and 24. I'm gonna read them again. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, here we go, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. At its core, being a disciple of Jesus Christ means I do not live for myself. I live for him I live for his glory. I live for his purposes. That's the point. In the Great Commission, we call it the marching orders to the church, Matthew chapter 28. We are to go into all the world and make what? Make disciples. You know what? It's hard to make disciples if you're not a disciple. (laughs) And Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, this is it. Deny yourself, take up your cross, cross being an instrument of death, and follow me. Full devotion and commitment to Jesus Christ is what a disciple looks like. That's at the core 
I live for his glory. I live for his purposes. I live for his honor. That is the priority of my life. Now, let me ask a hard question. And I'll ask it to myself because I have been all week studying this passage. Is Jesus, (laughs) number one, my greatest passion, my greatest purpose in my life? Maybe I need to do an assessment. Any of you like do personal assessments? It can be hard. How am I doing in this area of my life? How about this area? How about this area? How about this area? How am I doing? But what is the measure? Doing pretty good at my job. Making some decent money this year. My relationships seem to be all pretty good. I mean, we can have our list, but the one that matters, the one that oversees everything else is am I growing in my relationship with Jesus and am I becoming more and more and more like him? How's that assessment going? Two weeks till 2023, still time to have some goals So time to have some reprioritization maybe of your life as we look at a new year coming. Fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. You know, a disciple, is a disciple somebody who, you know, I can be a disciple if I'm like a, a Bible scholar? No. Is a disciple somebody who says, you know, um, I'm going to be a missionary. Does that make me a good disciple? That's not the point. The point is no matter what's your vocation, what's your calling, who you are, it's about full devotion to Jesus Christ. Or my term I'm wanting to use for you is full allegiance to him. Who has your allegiance? Is it Jesus? Simple question. Does he have your allegiance there is nothing more important. So one of the things, I, I'm gonna have some questions up here. I think I have six questions. When I kind of, kind of try to assess where I am in my life, where I am in my walk with Jesus, and I tend to be one of those people that kind of reflect on those types of things, um, there's some questions I ask. These are the types of questions, and I wanna share them with you. Just try in your mind to answer these honestly. Here's my first one. How do I spend my time? (laughs) How do I spend my time? Well, there's all these things, Jeff, I have to do. Like I have a job and I have to take care of a family and I have to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are are all fine and good. Guess I shouldn't do that anymore. Um, Is the use of your time what Jesus would give you a check mark for? Right on. All good. How do I use my time? Think about that one. How about number two? What do, what do I spend my money on? <laughs> what do I spend my money on? Are those things that line up with the priority of Christ in my life? That's a good question. Here's a third one. What are the non-negotiables in my life? What are the things in my life that I, uh, at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the year, want to say, above all else, I made sure I did these things. These are the priorities of my life, and I want to make sure. In fact, these are the things that I refuse to compromise in my life. What are those, are those things for you? Here's my fourth. 
What do I do and where do I turn when life is really hard? This is a really important one. What do you turn to when life is really hard? I think we have a tendency to want to go to what comforts, but that's not always the right way to go or the right place to go. Where do I go when my life is really hard? Do I cry out to Jesus first? That's where I need to go first. There are many other things in your life that are healthy and helpful for you when life is hard, but you go to him first. Is that almost a knee-jerk reaction to you when you feel blindsided, when you feel incredibly challenged, when you feel deeply hurt? He said, come to me. Do you know Jesus said that to you? Come to me. If you're weary, if you're burdened, I'll give you rest. I'll take care of you. You know, I, I, I just ask the Lord, may my knee-jerk reaction, my quick default response to anything hard in my life be talking to you. Lord, I want to talk to you. That's an important question for me. Number five, how do I view and pursue the ultimate purpose of my life? You know, I said what I believe biblically my purpose and the purpose of a disciple is to know and know Jesus Christ better and to become more like him and obviously to accomplish whatever good works he has for you. That's another part of it. But I think the priority is to know him and become like him. I do. And then number six, how have I defined daily excellent stewardship of my life? One of my favorite parables is the parable of the 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 owner who had these servants, these stewards, he gave five talents to one, two to one, one to another. And the ones that were affirmed received his approval, took what they were given and multiplied them. And you know, those words, those words I think of so often that the master said to the faithful stewards or servants, well done. Well done, you good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear those words from Jesus? I so do. Well done. So in what I am doing and how I am pursuing my life, leading me on the track of hearing, well done. You've been a wonderful steward of all the talents and abilities and opportunities that I have given you to bring glory to my son. Those are the kinds of things, I hope those are helpful to some of you at some degree, is to just really think through. And even having some of these questions that you put somewhere, whether it's in your phone or if you journal, whatever it might be, if you have a a prayer book you use, just to remind yourself, because we just so quickly (laughs) get off track, don't we? So Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It begins by understanding his true identity, then full allegiance to him. And then he says something very fascinating back to our text, verse 27. Jesus says, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now there's 
you know, uh, numerous thoughts about what Jesus is talking about here, but I think it's pretty clear because of what follows. I think what Jesus does next, that Luke records next, is giving three of his disciples a glimpse of the majestic king, who he is. Verse 28. About eight days later, Jesus said this. He took Peter, John, and James with him and went up into a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Now, some of you know this term I'll share with you. It with you. This is called the transfiguration of Christ. The transfiguration of Christ. It is essentially a glimpse, a momentary unveiling of the majestic glory of God the Son while he was on earth. That's what it was. It's, a, it's as though God the Father wanted Peter, James, and John to see a glimpse of who Jesus really, really is. It's so interesting, isn't it, that Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus. And here's what some believe. I agree. I think this is a good point, that Moses was the patriarch, uh, one of the patriarchs of Israel. There was Abraham too, but Moses. And he represented the law and the great prophet Elijah represented the prophets, the law and the prophets, which is kind of what the old, much of the Old Testament is about. And Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. That's who Jesus is. Verse 31, did you see this? They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. That's a reference to his crucifixion and his resurrection. So that's what Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah about. His crucifixion and his resurrection. Isn't that fascinating? Passage continues, verse 32. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then Luke adds, he did not know what he was saying. <laughs> now, I'm not, it's so interesting. Sometimes just they see things in scripture and it's like, I don't know why that's there. They were very sleepy. Okay. You know, had they passed out? Was, it, was this a really long period of time and they fell asleep? I'm not sure what was going on there. But what I do know is Peter just really felt a need to say something. Do you, you know people like that? Are you a person like that? Don't like silence. Got to say something. So here's Peter. You know, and, and I wonder if Peter was a bit uh, starstruck by seeing Moses and Elijah too. It's like, whoa, yeah. Lord, we need to build you three altars. We need to honor you three great men. That's what seems to be going on. And then something happens. Verse 34. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Verse 35. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, 
whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. To my knowledge, I know of one other time scripture records that the father verbally spoke from heaven and it's at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This one was him rebuking Peter. Wow. Now, why would God the father say this? (laughs) Peter missed it. It's not the trio There is one who is absolutely supreme. The absolute supremacy is Jesus Christ, not these other men. And that's what's so important. It's as though the father said, I gotta say something here. No, it's about Jesus. You're not building three altars. It's about my son. It's about Jesus, the one who is uniquely God. In fact, Moses and Elijah aren't even in the same category is what I sense the spirit of these words are. Don't try to make them equals to him. You know, it's so interesting to me. Peter talks about this event in the book of 2 Peter. Peter, the one who got rebuked. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18 say this. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And virtually all Scholars believe this is the transfiguration scene when we saw his majestic glory. And Peter, James, and John got to see that when the Lord for just a few moments took the veil off the God-man to reveal that glory, the absolute supremacy of Jesus Christ. So I wanna ask you a question this morning. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Let's start there for a moment. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Have you confessed your sin and asked him to forgive you of your sin? And in that forgiveness, you know, not only does he cleanse you of all of your sin, he makes you one of his children. You get to be part of his family. And one of the labels you have is disciple. Disciple. So do you know him as your Lord, your Savior, and King? Number two, do you understand that he expects, requires your full devotion? Whoever would come after me, whoever would be my disciple, must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. That's our calling, my friends a full devotion to Jesus Christ? And are you committed to living under his supremacy of everything? (laughs) He's Lord, he's King. 
as I wrap up here, I'm, one of the things that I, I think is important as we ponder God's word is maybe take just a moment. You want to close your eyes, bow your head to do that? Let me just talk just a little bit. And... Uh, let you ponder these things a little bit, please. Does Jesus Christ have first place in your life? You know, maybe you can scan very quickly 2022. Has he had first place in your life? And if not, how might he have that position in your life? What needs to change? What needs to be confessed? Do you clearly strive to live for him or is it predominantly you living for you? Your desires, your goals. And if it has been, you can confess that and you can recommit yourself to living for him and his purpose. Number three is knowing Jesus and becoming like him your greatest passion and priority. And if not, you can confess that because I believe clearly in scripture that's what he's called us to. I'm going to pray, Lord, these questions are really hard to answer. Um, Yes, because we struggle, you know that. We fall short a lot, you know that. And Father, I've often thought in light of your calling and your requirements and your supremacy in our lives, if you were not the gracious, compassionate, incredible, loving father that you are, we would be doomed. But we're not because of what Jesus did for us. And so, Lord, we just want to kind of bask in your love, in your grace, in your forgiveness because we desperately need it. But Father, I pray for my dear brothers and sisters. I pray for myself, even as we're we're looking forward to a, a new year, which can be a time of some new commitment and new start, that we would do some realigning of what matters most, of our time, of our talents, of even our resources, to be more in step and in tune and aligned with your purpose and your calling in our lives as disciples. Father, help us take the next couple weeks. Christmas season, it's fun, it's family, it's so many joyful things, but also, Lord, may it be a time of reflecting on how to live our lives in ways so that we can hear when we see you, well done. Well done. May that be our passion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.